My name is Alan Mahan. Welcome to Man Marking. We're asking, where's the talking lads? You want to get into, out the game what you put into it, Shelley. Mm-hmm. And I put everything into it I could and still do for the people and for the people that I was playing for and the people that I was manager for. I didn't cheat them out of anything. So I put all my heart and soul to the extent that my family suffered. You regret that at all? Oh, yeah, I regret, oh, I regret it very much, yeah. Somebody said the football's a matter of life and death to you. I said, listen, it's more important than that. Welcome to Man Marking, the podcast that uses football as a vehicle to encourage men to become more comfortable talking about their mental health. Today we're talking to Alan Mann. Um, my name's Alan Mann, uh, ex-professional footballer. Um, I stole a living for a bit, enjoyed my career, uh, kind of moved on into the next phase of my life. And uh, yeah, that's that's me in, in a nutshell. Joining me today, as per usual, is Ryan Pulford. Ryan, how are you, mate? Very well, thank you, mate. The uh, sun's shining, always helps. How are you? Yeah, I'm not so bad, thanks, mate. Not so bad. It is shining. I actually went for lunch today with Soph in Liverpool. And we obviously sat outside due to COVID restrictions. And it started absolutely peeing it down all over us. And then almost the minute that we'd finished eating, it stopped and was nice and sunny. So that's kind of how my day is going. Yeah, I think when we can start eating indoors, is it the 21st of May or something like that? It'll 17th, be, uh, I think it is. 17th, good job. Um, I don't work in hospitality, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, to be honest with you, you can imagine being, getting all the, right, is everyone ready for the 21st <laughs> of May, ladies and gentlemen? Uh, yeah, I mean, we we are boss, but we'll have been open for four days by then. So, uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it'll be, I mean, I went to Liverpool the other week uh, on a Saturday and I was out quite early in the afternoon. And yeah, I just, I couldn't even get in anywhere. And it was so sad seeing all these people queue up to sit outside. And you'd look through the window and there's always empty chairs. And you're like, <laughs> I'm going to sit the same distance away from these people. In fact, I'm closer to them queuing than I would be sat inside in a sterilised environment. So, yeah, very much looking forward to not having to rely on the British weather. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not really. It's like relying on Spurs to win a trophy <laughs> and it's just not going to happen. Ooh, on. I know, it's a dig, isn't it? It's a dig. Um, uh, coming from a Tramia fan as well. Ooh, won, the, yeah. won the Vanarama playoffs, did you? Um, I didn't do the sevens not that long ago. <laughs> before we get started today, Ryan, and before we get started today to you, the listener, we've got something really special that we're going to bring you next week. And we're going to give you some more information after the episode. So do hang on. But we've got, obviously, it's Mental Health Awareness Week next week, starting there, Monday the 10th of May. So we have got something really special for you next week. So we'll we'll kind of get to that after today's episode. But on to today's episode with Alan Marn. Bit of a bit of a tramway legend of our youth, actually, Alan Marn on, on today. And we were given uh, Alan's contact details by our good friend Danny from Team DDB. Ryan, do you want to give the, the listeners the all-important theme for this episode, mate? Yeah, and just before I do as well, if you've um, if you're not aware who of Team DDB, um, go and check it out. Type in Team DDB into the socials, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and just have a little look at it. It's our friend Danny Debrabnu, who've mentioned before. 
he's um, done some absolutely unbelievable work um, and very, very worth checking out. Very worth checking out. That's not very good, is it? I'm, <laughs> I'm worth checking out. Um, and also, as you've mentioned, give us the give us a link up with our mom, which was fantastic. Uh, so today's theme is the importance of positive influences. Absolutely. And that's our theme. And if you'd a listener pick up on anything that we haven't, then do make sure to email us at manmarkingpodcast at gmail.com or you can tweet us at marking underscore man and make sure you use that hashtag. Where's the talking lads? So we'll see you afterwards for a, a short debrief, but we're now going to hand you over to Alan Marn. You're listening to Man Marking. And um, we're just going to start really with the, the start of your career at, at Tramia. Um, we were reading, doing some research for this episode, that you actually had offers to to join Middlesbrough and Chelsea and some other clubs. Yeah. Why was it that you you uh, you went to Tramia? Why did you pick them? Um, at the time, my father's been a massive uh, a massive influence on my career. God bless him; he's passed away now. But at the time, uh, I think it was going back to '93, '94 when when Tramir had, had got into a quarterfinals and um, my, my dad had looked at all the options and obviously Chelsea and uh, I think it was Middlesbrough Leeds had, had made offers. But I think my dad felt the best chance I had of progressing, not that he had any doubt, but I just think for being realistic was to go to a team like Tramir where they would blood, blood you in and kind of give you an opportunity, which was uh, something that we kind of spoke about. So that was kind of one of the reasons. And, and at the time as well, they... They had a lot of players coming through at that stage. So your 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 Jed Brannans and your your Tony Thomases and all all them kind of excellent players that were coming through on a regular basis it was kind of a it was kind of a pull for me. I my, my dad to, to go like, listen, you get opportunities there. Obviously, they haven't got the financial um, situation of of a Chelsea, but but they'll want to be able to play young players coming through, and you will get an opportunity, which is probably the main reason, really. And it, it's quite rare, especially in the, today's game, where people make those decisions to to pick maybe more minutes on the pitch than than the, sort of the team that they want to say on Instagram that they play for or wearing the kit of a Premier League club. So I suppose that was um, quite a big decision to make early on for you. What what was it like when you came over then and you, you first started settling in? How, how did you find it all? Um, I think you just hit the nail on the head. Like uh, Back then there wasn't Instagram, there wasn't... There wasn't a social like media pull to 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 playing football, so to speak. It was um, it was the old dial of phones, uh, put a pound in the machine, and either that or you write a letter home. Um, so the, obviously the world has changed a lot for, for the good, and obviously there's a lot more connection. But back then it was, there's your money, get on the plane, all the best, and ring us when you get there, type of thing, or when you get a chance to get a payphone somewhere, just stick a quid in and call us, type of thing. So it was. It was a different time back then. Um, you had to come over, and I went into digs early doors up in Clawton Village um, with a couple of the lads. And yeah, it was hard. It was hard. You're away from home at 15, 16. Um, I think I'd had 100 quid put in my pocket by my mum and dad. Obviously, that was the situation back then. And just kind of go and enjoy it and see what happens. And if, if it works out, brilliant. And if it doesn't, then just come back and. Obviously, look look to be a sparky or something like that with your, your brothers and your, your 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 friends and family, which actually transpired. I couldn't be a, a sparky anyway because I'm colourblind, so that would have <laughs> that that option went out the window later on. But um, 
yeah, that was it. There was never any pressure on me from the family because it wasn't it wasn't there. It was just go and enjoy it. Yeah. The wages weren't it was a YTS wage of I think it was forty quid a week. It wasn't like you're going there for, for all that type of stuff at the time. It was more just to go and see if you could carve out a career, really. And that that it was it's exciting. It was as a young lad it was exciting to leave Dublin. Uh, but looking back at it now, I've got young kids. It's it's a different world. It's it's only now kind of dawning on me the the impact. Obviously, leaving such a young age to come away and it's you don't have the support as probably you would do nowadays. Um, so yeah, it was, it was quite difficult early 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 doors when I came over. And it sounds like you're obviously quite close to to your family. Did they get over much to to see you when you play? Yeah, when when again. Back then, there was an awful lot of money knocking around back home. So when they had the money, they they they, they came over and it was brilliant. Um, but my mum and my, my dad and me, me obviously got a big family back home. It was more to do with just just go and be the best version of yourself and just just have a laugh, just try and enjoy yourself and enjoy the experience, and then take it from there. Really. So yeah, at the start it was hard because I never really got a chance to see them. Um, it wasn't until I got into the force team and. The, the club Tramway were, were, were very good at the time with, with helping that kind of uh, happen, making that happen with my, my parents coming over. So, yeah, it was difficult. But like I said, it was all I kind of knew at the time. And that's all it was about, really. And there were some really big characters at the club when you first came through. And I think you started breaking into the team around 95, 96 season. Yeah. There were some massive players at the club. It wasn't too long after they had those three successive playoff uh Games yeah. um three seasons in a row. So I mean, as a as a youngster, as you said, they were they were putting young lads in the team at the time, but you were still playing with some really top top pros who'd been there and done it. Yeah, yeah. For, for me, John Aldridge just John Aldridge was playing for them, and like at yeah. home, back in Dublin, John Aldridge is a god, uh, and rightly so. So to, to to have the opportunity and Liam O'Brien, and that's just the name, just a couple. Yeah. In terms of the level of player, to to, to be. To be in the same dressing room and to, to, I just taught myself as a young lad in Dublin that kind of won the lot of it. Kind of, you've gone to England to play, and I'd have played football if I hadn't. Do you know what I mean? It was like something yeah. I was going to do anyway. Um, so, yeah, to, to have the, the opportunity to play with that that calibre of player early doors, and I've named just two, but like Gary Stevens and Pat Nevin, and the, the 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 list goes on. Morrissey. That we had a really really top squad of really and like you said, big characters, a strong dressing room, which 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 again I didn't really know much about. I was like kind of a bit naive, but yeah, strong dressing room, but but a well a well looked after dressing room that protected its protected its own. Really, it was good. Was there anyone in particular who was who was good from like a men- mentorship point of view? Pat Nevin, Pat Nevin was very good for me. He um he, he kind of steered me in the right direction. Um, always kind of there, kind of. Pat was a bit different. He, he kind of he, he obviously helped me with my my even from early doors your, your pension side of the stuff that you wouldn't even think about and just kind of give you advice without forcing it on you. Uh, David Kelly, another one. Um, a really good like kind of mentor to me. Uh, Paul Cook. Uh, kind of really looked after me, took me and put me under their wings really, um, and could, could I give you your, your your. I was only a young lad; I didn't know me, me bum from my elbow, you know. And it was kind of, uh, 
it, it was kind of a fast-paced thing that you sometimes I needed slowing down and kind of just saying, man, you just, just relax and this is what you do. And obviously there's a lot of guidance there. And and to be honest, I, I hadn't even mentioned them, but, but one of the biggest ones was was John King, John King and Harry McNally, who who um God bless them, they were they were fantastic for, for me. Um just to kind of relax me and just set me down and kind of give me a, a bit of guidance when I kind of filtered off a bit, like you know, then them too. And again, I was quite lucky with the group of players that, that kind of looked after you from, from inside as well. Yeah, we had Pat Nevin um, on the show, and, and he's he he would tell you himself he wasn't your typical footballer in terms of what he was like off the pitch, but he seemed to kind of embrace that that side of him. Um, he seems like he's just a great person, isn't he, when you get speaking to him? Oh, God. And what a footballer as well. Yeah, do you know what? It was like, I, I didn't think people's hips could move that way before I came to England. Obviously, <laughs> he had a way of, of, of going in and out of players. And yeah, just, just to, to, to watch him. And, and again, how he... How he approached everything in life, his attitude, his his uh, his kind of his positive thinking on and off the pitch, um, it, it was addictive. You know, it, it was good to, to to kind of have that at such an early age. And how, how different was it when the the club made the transition from Johnny King to to Aldo? I mean, obviously, such a legend at the club was Johnny King, and so was Aldridge, really. But two completely different managers in the style, I would imagine. Yeah, two different two different characters, um, and both equally with with, with uh, outstanding qualities. Um, it it was alright for me. It was alright for me. Although for me it was good because sometimes when I stepped out of line, he kind of put me back in place. And obviously with his name and with the, what he'd done in the in the game and his career, he kind of sat up and took notice. Like you know, and yeah, there's things that I I could have done better. Looking back, and I think with hindsight, when you get older, you get a few grey hairs in your head, you seem to realise stuff that you've done in the past may not have been the the right thing, and obviously you've learned from it. But well, I, ha- I had good teachers, I had good people around me, and all those good for me. He, he he looked after me, um. But yeah, he was also hard on me when I deserved mm-hmm. it or when I needed a kind of a a little a kind of a, a spike, you know. And football's moved on, obviously, a lot since then. But is, is there anything that, in particular, because you're involved in managing now, anything you've taken from any of those two that you'd still apply when coaching? Yeah, I think I think fun. Just to have fun and be positive. Obviously, the, the technical aspects, obviously, you, you always try and improve and want to improve the players, which which they did back then and which I try to do now. Um, I think you've got to have that positive passion for it and... The, the want for players to improve and the want for success, the want to, to win and the want to kind of to be the best version of yourself. And that's stuff that you I probably never respected or understood when I was younger. It's only when you get older, you start to realise trying to be the best version of yourself or helping people and, and all these little things that you kind of take. And like I said, back then, you had a lot of big characters that some had their, their faults. Also, the ones had their... their, their their positives and I took all the positives from it like you know and there will be things that you look back on and think oh, I'm not sure about that but like I said I always kind of drew on the, the positive aspects which is where I try to lead a kind of a, a more positive angle of approach now Absolutely and and that Tramia team at sort of the 99-2000 the season was just synonymous with cup runs I mean I was 
I think I was eight years old when we got to Wembley and it was kind of what made me fall in love with Tranmere, just seeing all those amazing nights as, as a young kid um, yeah. in an area that was obviously dominated by Liverpool and, and Everton fans. I feel like it was a generation that almost a lot of people supported the club because of those nights. Just yeah. how incredible were those cup runs beating all those Premier League sides? I think I think it's hard to, and again, it's not until you you reflect and go back and when you finish and you, you can look back on your career and, and you go through different parts of your career and you, you look at the highlights and I don't think I understood the the kind of the the level that we got to like and to do what we did at the time. Um, again, we, we, we had a great balance. If you look back the team, it was a mix of really experienced players that kept the young players in place in terms of on the field and managed them and looked after them. And then you had the young lads like Andy Parkinson, uh, myself, um, Clint, uh, David Chandler, Joe Murphy, that kind of had the kind of young zest that kind of did nothing phase us. And that was only because of what, what way we were treated and the kind of the atmosphere at the time. Tranmere was always a family club. So whether it was from the Lil in the Canteen to Steve the Kitman, wherever it was, it was kind of a really close in the family and to... to to do what we did and to, to do it to the level we've done it, I, looking back now, you go, wow, it was it was really kind of an, un- an unbelievable time in your career. I think that's one of the things that I kind of look at now was understanding and enjoying the moment. I think at the time, I probably never enjoyed it as much as I should have uh, because you just, you're thinking other things and you're, you're kind of, you think your career will go on forever. But I think sometimes it's important to kind of stop where you are and just kind of reflect to, to what's happened at the moment and enjoy it. So we were in, it always seemed like the, the atmosphere in the stands and on the pitch, they almost mirrored each other. It was that that sort of fast-paced football, winning a lot of second balls, winning all your challenges. The fans, I think, fed off the energy of that. And it was it, it was quite exciting. A lot of the wins as well, they weren't all just sit back and make a goal, were they? You really went at teams and had a belief you could yeah. beat anybody. I think at that time, we used to call it the, the Prenton Fortress when you... You kind of you played on a Friday night or wherever night it was, especially the nighttime football, and obviously the cow shed would be bouncing, and you'd, you'd hear the kind of, and you'd feel the energy from the crowd, and all it take is for a Clint Hill challenge just to kind of get the, <laughs> the crowd going, and obviously, like I said, it was very the, the, the players were very protective of each other, and for the likes of myself and Parky that were a bit more spinning top, we were kind of wispy in and out. If we got challenged and it was a bit off the cuff or a bit reckless, then two seconds after you have all your mates behind you kind of backing you up and protecting you so you kind of felt that kind of togetherness and camaraderie that was um, which is important for all success all, all the teams that have been successful always had that element of camaraderie and togetherness like you know Absolutely yeah I had, had a great balance in there had a bit of everything in that team and um, yeah. we want one one of the um, we wanted to ask you about one of the incidents that happened I think it was at home to Sunderland where Clint Hill actually got sent off and somehow got replaced as a sub by Stephen Frail at the same time. And we were looking at the footage back, and you're right in the middle of the incident. <laughs> do you remember what went on there? I, do you know what? I, <laughs> I was so, I didn't know, I didn't know what was going on. I, 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 I just kind of, I'd look at the bench, and I was looking at the linesman, I was looking at the referee, but I didn't want to say anything because I didn't, I didn't know what was going on. So there was a lot of confusion going on, and I remember we, we laughed, we obviously laughed about it years later, but at the time it was like. I don't know what's happening here. And the, the noise of the crowd and everything else, it was like a really bizarre instance. <laughs> I, I, 
I, we, we just didn't know what was happening. We didn't know what was happening. Uh, try, tried our landing, got away with it, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a go, but we got, we got, we got caught. <laughs> um, and obviously, a massive highlight for all Tramway fans is uh, beating Bolton, uh, which you did a few times. And there was that three 0 win in particular where you scored the second goal. Um, yeah. Such a, a memorable night following the club, and it just seemed like when that goal went in. They're just the sheer momentum. You can hear it now on the old footage of the of the crowd. It was just incredible. What was it like on the pitch that night? Yeah, but like I said, you could you could feel the crowd. There was like an energy from the crowd, and that and I go, people always talk about what, do you do you get much from the crowd or does that have an impact on you as a player? And it massively does. And massively because we're so close. Our plant was always so close to the crowd that when. When the the, the goal, and we we kind of knew before the kickoff. I think you know as a player how things are gonna go. I I always felt my 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 warm up dictated what was gonna normally happen, and we there's a good warm up was had, and the start of the game started off really well. You you could just tell things were going our way. Second balls are falling to us, and um I, I could tell we were up for it, especially on the back of the fourth game away. Um so yeah, as soon as the the fourth goal went in. I, we, we, we kind of knew I kind of knew my belly but you, you don't really say too much but we, you kind of know things are going our way tonight and and four weeks later you, you're playing at Wembley in a major cup final I think that I think it must have been the last uh, league cup final at the old Wembley as well so again quite quite a proud moment to, to walk out there at a championship club but nothing and obviously we lost that final but there must have been belief in the in the camp there that you, you could have went on and, and beat Leicester I we 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 had it in our hearts that we we're going to beat them, you know. We 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 didn't fear. It, it's it's a it's a really strange like um, really strange thing. That's that season we never really feared teams, especially the big teams that came, um, because we always like kind of showed a good account of ourselves in the big games. And when you look around at the players you had, you had experience, but you also had like I think Park you had an outstanding outstanding season that year where he was. Unplayable, and um, yeah, we just had a kind of a feeling that like things would go our way, and and we we went into the game expecting to to, to get a result. And after you um, the obviously the fact you lost that final, I think it was a, a was it a week before that you lost the quarter final um, to Newcastle. Newcastle, yeah. So you've had all that momentum. You you're beating all these teams left, right, and centre, and then you lose a final and a quarter final. What was that hard to get going after that? Well, obviously, momentum's very good in a positive fashion, but equally in a negative way, it's hard to sometimes. If you probably spent a lot of energy in in, in those two cup runs. Yeah, um, yeah, you're right. I, I, again, you don't look right because you're in the you're in the, the thick of things at the time, so you're you're st- you still got games coming up. But when when you know you've missed out, it's addictive. Playing big games or playing or being involved in big games is addictive. You, you want to be a part of it. And um, again, when, when I looked at some of the questions, I was trying to relay in my brain, and I still think that the, the Newcastle game we thought we'd, we'd get results. But then when that was put to put to the side, we had to focus on just the league, just to, just to keep winning the games and, and showing a good account for ourselves. Because although the the cup run had had finished. We also wanted to make sure that we didn't um, we didn't just kind of peter off and that was it then type of thing like you know. And um, do you have any kind of like what 
one moment of uh, maybe something that happened at Tramway that no one's really aware of? Do you have any abide moments that you can you can think of? Um, in, in in the time I was there, yeah, um, yeah, John King, he was a character. John John King, when I was very young, so we used to train down in Valley Road, which is down in the, the far in the Birkenhead, um, and so I used to do jobs. You do jobs, and you'd, you'd be either be cleaning up the the, the the dress rooms, or you'd be doing the football boots, or whatever you had. You had a set job, and and sometimes you'd be cleaning the corridors, and obviously the the gaffer just opened the door, and he'd just give it the old big finger. Man, he used to call me Manny boy, Manny boy, in there, <laughs> and he he'd just take in the office, and he'd bring in this kind of this whirlwind story of of some sort of like like. Goliath, Dave and Goliath type scenario <laughs> and I'd be standing there with my sweeping brush and he'd just go and he'd go through his whole story and it, the story changed every time he pulled you in the office it was hilarious <laughs> and then after he'd finish it he'd go and go out and clean you go out and clean the corridor all the best son but he, it, it, it was the same <laughs> kind of time he'd pull you in the office and he'd done it with a lot of players where he'd bring them in and he'd have stories about Liverpool, Everton and he was, he was a character and I, I at the time I, I just found him like oh, what's he doing? It's only when you get older you realise his man management was was fantastic, and I think that's one of the reasons why players wanted to kind of run through walls from. He, he had this kind of unbelievable knack of being able to just be able to drag players, and players would gravitate to him. You know, really, really good guy. At the end of that um, 99-2000 season, Alan, that was when you secured your move over to uh, to Portugal with um, Sporting Lisbon. Yeah, um, which is. Again, sort of the, the second time in your sort of young life that you've kind of moved away from what would be your home. Yeah. How did you find kind of settling in Portugal and and settling into a foreign country? Um. Well, first and foremost, the the, the move came about really quickly. I, I didn't know what was happening, and then before I knew it, I was standing in Lisbon, really. Um. So it was kind of a really quick turnaround. Um. And again, I my dad used to always say, "We just just." Go with it and enjoy it, and just just kind of see what happens. Don't don't put too much kind of emphasis on it, or or don't don't stress about it. It'll all be all right. So, yeah, you, you move to a new country again. Um, I always I already felt I was away from home anyway. Um, but yeah, it was just one of those things that it was it happened really quickly. Um, and like I said before, I knew I was I was standing in um, in, in Lisbon, and that was it. Like you know. Next chapter. And you made your um I was reading that you made your debut in a in a Champions League match against against Real Madrid. Yeah. Um which must have been kind of that must have been surreal being stood in that tunnel after, you know, you know, you only only sort of months before you were playing at the likes of sort of crew and Grimsby and Paul Bale and yeah. you you stood next to Lewis Figo in the <laughs> in the in the uh, in the tunnel about to, to go out to a Champions League match. That must have been that must have just been crazy for you. I'll be honest, and I, I, I hope we can say this, but me bum fell out. It really did. I didn't know what was happening. I walked out, and again, it's like you're trying to get a gauge of what's happening. You're thinking, all of a sudden, like you said, it was a quick transition. But yeah, to, to, to go from Tranmere, which is a fantastic level, to another level, yeah, it was it was mentally kind of... It took a while to kind of sink in and kind of prepare yourself for that kind of level. Um if I'm being honest, it was terrible on the night. I, I I didn't I didn't play well at all. I think I got Shepherd's hooked after 
50 minutes, 45 minutes, to be honest. And we got a bit of a, a toasting. So, um, yeah, it, it was brilliant for the for what it was. It wasn't great for me personally on on a, on a personal level, um, the playing level, playing sort of things. But yeah, it, it was it was a fantastic experience. Someone that again I can I can look back with, with memories and fond memories of the 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 kind of their overall. Um, kind of night but just that again the disappointment in the back of the head is obviously the level and I didn't think I showed up that night if I'm being honest Did you ever kind of get any sort of I've heard players talk in the past about when they've made moves you know like a big level jump like like that that you made you know, a very big environment change as well that they can almost players can sometimes maybe have a bit of a oh, I don't know if I belong at this level I don't know if I should be here was the did it, did it ever cause a bit of a crisis of confidence for you at all to, to make that move or was it something you kind of took in your stride? I think I think we'd all be lying if we said we didn't kind of... I, I'm, I, I try to be a realist. My dad always taught me to be kind of honest and with my head and kind of don't... don't kind of blank stuff and kind of address it. And, yeah, it did. You look at it and you look at some of the players that you're, you're playing with and you're... You, you, you couldn't automatically think, well, do we deserve to be here? And am I here for the right reasons? And blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, there, there was an element of, of do I belong? Am I good enough? And I think that's mo- most players will have that at, at times in their career. And some deal with it differently. But yeah, I, I did have that kind of do I belong here? Um, am I at the level? Them type of things do go through your mind. Yeah. And then you, you you sort of stay there. Only lasted about about six months or so, wasn't it? And then mm. you come back to uh, to Blackburn. What, yeah. what kind of prompted the the move? Um, I just wanted to play. I really wanted to play, and it's always if buts and stuff like that. And should I have gone? Should I have not have gone? And uh, again, there's still things you kind of I, I go to me Brian now and think should I have? Shouldn't I have? But I just wanted to play. And an opportunity came up to play, and um, I didn't want to miss out on it. I didn't want to miss out, and I didn't want to be kind of just stuck in a uh, in a situation where it was kind of gone, if that made sense. Kind of, and again, back then there wasn't that kind of uh, everything was on social media and everyone's accessible. I think it was teletext back then, or there was no internet. Like it wasn't like you could you could go on and like, see what people are doing. So I, I kind of just didn't want to be two long guns that made sense and obviously yeah. an opportunity like Blackburn came along and obviously with, with, with Graham Sooness and I, I I just yeah I wanted to play I wanted to play I think that's an interesting kind of sort of dynamic of play really with players that, that play in England and then move move abroad even even now even with the amount of access that we've got to to sort of foreign leagues and to you know stuff yeah. on the internet as you say I think I always think of someone like Jaden Sancho and I think mm. He's probably not going to be starting for England in the in in the Euros. Yeah, if he was doing what he was doing for Dortmund, for Arsenal, or for Chelsea, or someone. He'd be the first name on the team sheet, wouldn't he? Um, yeah, I, I, I there is that element of feeling that because you're out of sight, out mind type mm. of scenario. I know the world's a lot smaller now, but um, again, Jaden's a fantastic talent. But yeah, there will be an element of people thinking, yeah, if he had a players here you might get an opportunity to be involved but again that's it's all hindsight we it's kind of the unknown you, 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 it's hard to say that would be the case and um, but I, I can see where you're coming from yeah 
did you have any regrets over making that move or yeah the the football side of it if I'm being honest I I I always said I didn't want to have regrets in my career. I always find that's a quite a harsh statement because I think you make decisions, positive decisions for you based on what you feel is best for you at the time. And although the decision had, was made quickly, I made it for the best intentions. Now, looking at it at the time, I didn't know the overall impact it would have on, on other aspects of, of, of my career. And so I wouldn't say regret, but maybe something that I probably should have thought about a bit more in terms of was it best for me in all, at all levels and all angles and I think that that's probably more of the, the, the case on that one I I don't regret it but it's something that looking back I might have done things differently yeah absolutely it's, it, it, as you say hindsight's, hindsight's a beautiful thing isn't it and it's yeah, yeah. it's much easier to you know you can say I wish I'd done this or I wish I'd done that yeah. etc etc and you know for for you know, you were what twenty-one or so at the time, and to be yeah. that type of move and stuff, I think ninety-nine percent of people would have would have taken that that opportunity. Yeah. And you know, you've got to try things, haven't you? I suppose as well in, in your career. Um, yeah. There was I was looking Alan, when we were kind of doing the research for for this interview, and we were obviously we remember you from your two spells at Tranmere, but I remember it, obviously when we have a player that leaves Tranmere, and we've seen it in the sort of last ten years, people like. Uh, Alan Creswell, Ryan Taylor, players like that who yeah. who come through and then go on and, and and you know go and play do bigger and better things. I suppose at, at a higher level and you know Clint Hill was someone you mentioned who did that as well. Jason Kumas, players like that. Yeah, yeah. But you're always kind of looking out for them. You know, remember the teams they play for and seeing if they played and didn't yeah. score or that type of thing. And yeah, and I, I, I you moved around to quite a lot of different clubs there, Blackburn and Cardiff and Wigan and Burnley yeah. and and always seem to do. It always seems to do quite well at those places and be very popular as well. Do you yeah. think there was ever an element of when you made that move to, to to Lisbon and then came back? Did it disrupt that momentum in your career? Do you think at all? Yeah, I, I think there's an element, and again, the manner in which I'd gone abroad, um, I, I didn't know the kind of enormity of it with 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 the ongoing stuff with transfer fees and all that. It wasn't kind of something that I was well versed on. Um, so yeah, I, I do think, uh, and again, that's probably one of the reasons why I looked at maybe a quick return back was to to get some momentum going again because I was used to playing and obviously, and again, you make decisions based on what you feel, like I said, is right for you. And yeah, there's an element I look back and I always think, well, that could have happened and I know it's hindsight, but you, you, your path kind of is dictated to by, by decisions you make. And yeah, there will be an element that I look back and go, if I'd have done that, maybe that would have happened. If I'd have done this, then that would have happened. But if you try, if you focus too hard on that, I think you you start, you can start messing up your head really badly by thinking, yeah, ifs and buts and all the stuff that could have happened and should have happened. If if I look back uh, at my career overall, like, like I said at the start, I I try to be honest and I probably underachieved, if if I'm being brutally honest, um, for what potential I had. Um, different factors, stresses that are attributed to that. Um, but yeah, I, I, I sometimes kick myself. And, and again, that's that's it's part and parcel of experience and growing older and letting your head kind of kind of, kind of dissect the, the past and how you kind of move forward with it. So yeah, there will be elements that I kick myself a little bit with decisions. But again, it's, it was based for what I thought was right for me at the time. 
yeah absolutely i think that's the way that's the the most positive way you can look at it really as you say it's 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 no no point dwelling on things is it if, if they're gone and you know i think that there's probably um i mean there's probably, there's probably millions of people that would have killed to have had half the career that you had if you know what i mean you you achieved yeah. so much in the game and you were always a very popular player at a lot of places and and then almost almost exactly 10 years after that sort of famous season at Tramia, you you came back to the club what was it that sort of prompted the move um, I, I just think I, I wanted to kind of come back and for it to be the same. I think it's very hard. I think I think going back to a club this, the second time is always difficult because you want to. You're a different player. You're a different person, um, and the club are in a different position. But I wanted to come back and try help, and I'd always kind of kept me connection with Tranmere, and I always kind of helped um, in various ways away from away from the pitch with various things behind the scenes. Uh, when I could, so I always had that kind of connection with with Tramir, and I, I felt by coming back, just to kind of help the club get back to where we were. Um, again, looking at that situation, I, I, I that's that's one where I kind of hurt a bit because I really wanted to help. Um, I probably wasn't physically able to do what I wanted to do. Um, John Barnes is fantastic, by the way. He. he his way of doing things, and obviously with Jason, there was good people wanting the club go forward, and everything was there. Um, like I said, for me, it was probably my brain thinking I could do what I did before, mm-hmm. and and again, like I said, that the reason why I, I stopped my contract early and I didn't, I, I was stopping the Aaron, like you mentioned, Aaron Creswells and other players that were coming through. I was just sitting on the bench taking up a space, and it was then I, I kind of decided, you know what? I, not to kind of be hard on myself, but I think you've got to be honest. And I wasn't of benefit, as in I couldn't produce what was needed for him at the time, you know. And I think that's one of the reasons why I kind of stepped aside. It's um, it, it's interesting, really. That sort of period at, at Tranmere was so um, it it sticks out quite a lot for a lot of reasons for 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 a lot of Tranmere fans. But I, I particularly remember it because we had a really good season under Ronnie Moore, and then he left and and um. Barnes and McAteer came in. Yeah. And it was quite confusing at the time because Moore had been quite a popular manager. He'd done really well. And then, yeah. then there was this kind of quite quick decision. But I think because it was because it was McAteer and because it was Barnes and it was something a bit different and interesting, there was a, quite a bit of a buzz that was around the club. And then, yeah. obviously, like yourself, came back. And I remember watching... Um, it must have been a pre-season friendly when you 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 first time you you played at Prenton Park back again. Yeah, I remember you got the ball out on the left, whipped across in, and I think Teddy Gornell scored. Yeah, and I remember me dad was like, because me, me me and me dad had gone right from the first sort of season we went was when you were first playing. And yeah, my dad yeah. had been was was like we signed Alamon again, you know, and I was like, oh, that, yeah, yeah. And then yeah, we w- yeah. went back, and you whipped this cross, in and my dad was like, oh, he's back, he's back yeah, here, yeah. he is whipping crosses in, yeah. and it was all very kind of exciting, but it it seemed to go wrong very very quickly, like extremely yeah. quickly. It all just went off the boil. Yeah. In terms of, I mean, I, I've met John Bonds off the pitch, and he's a, he's a really nice felon, and and I know uh, McAteer sort of his some of his family and have you, and and they, you know they also good people as well, and yeah. Did, did, what kind of went wrong there behind the scenes and why do you think it didn't kind of transpire how everybody would have wanted? Uh, it's, it's a million dollar question. Uh, the, the training was good. Training was really good. 
Um, I don't know what had happened the year before, Ronnie. Excuse me. I wasn't sure about the kind of dynamics or what had happened, the politics behind it, but I was delighted to have come in and obviously to, to have the opportunity again. To I, I knew Jason from from the international scene, obviously playing with Jason at Blackburn, and obviously to 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 be managed by John Barnes. And again, the, the, for me, the training was good. The the everything was good. It's, I don't know. I, I don't know. It, it, the the pre season started off all right. Um, I just I, I couldn't put my finger on it. I, I don't know. I, I I was so desperate to have success with 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 John and Jason and the club. Um, that was frustrating for me because I couldn't get more, and I was frustrated with myself for that. Um, and that that stuck with me for a long time because I really wanted to do well. Um, but no, behind the scenes it was fine. Like the 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 training was good. The the atmosphere was good, the good people. Um, I, I don't know. Yeah, it, it, it was a strange one. And then when um, when uh, Barnes and McAfee left, they were sort of replaced. Uh, Les Paddy replaced them yeah. in the incident to start with. What was yeah. that transition like? Were people quite surprised? Were the players quite? How did they take to that? Um, I think it was all right. Les has been involved since day dot. Les was actually the first person I met in England, believe it or not, when I came to England first, because I just I broke my leg when I was 16. So when I got off the, the plane, um, recovering from, from before I saw it, from here, it was Les that picked me up um, in England. So he was the kind of first person I'd met and I'd known him since I was a kid. He'd been involved in so many games and he, he, he probably had more tactical knowledge. And he's a very clever, clever man, Les. He's a character, as we all know. Um, <laughs> But yeah, yeah, he had a lot. He had a lot going for him, and I don't. We, we again, going back to to wanting to do well. I think all the players just thought, you know what? Let's just try just get a going for 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 the club, for us, for for Les. Um, obviously Wayne Allison to come back and think to help at the time. He just wanted to do well. I think I think we all wanted to kind of do do as as well as we could for for, for the club, really. You know. I assume when. Uh... When Les picked it up at the airport, he was wearing a little pair of shorts just to just to break it in easily. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To be honest, I laugh with this. I will never forget it because back back home, um, like I said, it, my dad had this old um, Renault Five that he used to have for years, and obviously when you, you come to England first, Les had this. Uh, I think I'm sure it was an M Mazda MX Five. This kind of coupe type thing. It looked like a million dollars to me. I didn't know what. I'd never been in a car like it. And he pulled up, and uh, yeah, I think he was in his shorts, uh, his shorts and his t-shirt. To be fair, he was quite buff, Les. Yeah, he, he had a, he was, he was a strong guy. Um, but yeah, I think there's an element that he kind of regretted later on the shorts and t-shirt one because there was some nights, and I used to think he's gonna get pneumonia. That's it, he's done. It's too, it's too cold for any human. But to be fair to him, he cracked on and never let on. So uh, fair play to him. I used to. Um... When I was when I was younger, I used to ball boy uh, at Tramia, and I used to always get put on the home dugout. So I'd sit in front of the home dugout with the with the, with the towel and the ball and that, and yeah, yeah. be sat on the stool, and it'd be just behind where I was sitting. And he'd always yeah. have like a pack of Haribo or something, and every yeah. every game it'd be like, yeah, get your hand out there, I'll give you some of these Haribo. And uh, yeah. and I remember we were doing a reserve game once, and it was absolutely bucketing it down, and I didn't have a proper coat with me. And he went, yeah. uh, he went, he goes, have you got a coat, lad? And I was like, no, no, no. And he was like, yeah, hang on a minute. And he goes and gets me this <laughs> this, this coat. And I think it yeah. was um, Ian Hume's coat that he'd, he'd right, uh, right, okay. up in. 
but I was only about 12 or something and it was yeah. huge it was just this massive yeah. overcoat I think we've still got it in me mum's now but I was just wandering around in this enormous coat that Les Paddy had given me and it was that just was... it was just there uh, yeah it was just a really nice thing he, he, he did that type of thing quite a lot well that's, that's the beauty of football you, you just touch on something like that's a memory that you will have uh, and a character which Les was and is um, that you remember and I think that's the beauty of football you, you come across these people that that have an impact that have um, kind of a yeah, an impact on your life or how how we look at things, and you're 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 smiling and laughing at a time. <laughs> how long how long ago was that? That's going back what? Yeah, probably about fifteen, sixteen. Fifteen, years, yeah, yeah. You know, and and to be fair, that that was Les off to a T. He uh, he he was tramway through and through, and is tramway through and through. Um, so yeah, I think going back to the, the original bit, I think when Les took over, um, it was just kind of all hands on deck if we could to help him. Uh, to to get to that that stage, like you know, yeah, absolutely. And you you, you kind of mentioned there, Alan, about the end of your career and it, you know, the, the sort of feeling as though maybe you were you were blocking the path for other players, or you know, you 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 weren't being able to offer what you wanted to offer. I read um, I read in an interview that you, your dad died not long before that. Was that kind yeah. of you know you, you've 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 mentioned them a few times as sort of going to him as a as a confidant and for yeah. advice and stuff. Was that quite a a big part of that decision as well? Um, a massive. Uh, even even to this day, Dan, it's like obviously he's a massive part of my life. It's, it's, you can't see it, but I've got a cut in my corner over there. I've got a shrine to him. Like he was always like me, kind of my hero, and always will be. So when, and again, I I must I must uh, I must mention at the at the time Les and and the club. I was actually going back 10 years ago now. At the time, Les and the club were fantastic because at the time I was allowed to go and mind them. Obviously, same through the period. So I was able to spend the, the, the last the last few months with them, which is, looking back now, was massively important for me going forward. Like, you know, so that's one thing that, that I'll never forget that I was able to... And not many places you can do that. Um, I, I, I spoke to the club about, and again, we kind of just block some of my wages and just said listen just let me and and, and fair play to Les and, and the club um, they, they kind of let me have that, that period of of of, um, uh, of memories to be honest so I've been able to keep it you know yeah absolutely and then I, I was reading that you you spent a few years away from from football before sort of coming back into it what was your transition like to to going from being a footballer to a to a former footballer you know we've had some Sort of varying stories of, you know, it can be quite a difficult transition. Um, I, I, I tried to keep it like I didn't try to have a, a flash Harry lifestyle anyway. I tried to keep it kind of fairly normal, so the transition was smooth. Uh, th- there is elements that you look at because it's all I've ever known. I, I don't, I'm not. I was never an educated guy, a kid. I came to England and I, I, I kind of skipped skip classes when I was meant to be going to West Derby with the, the YTS lad because you just want to play football, thinking football is your BNN now. But obviously there's a there's a part after football um that you gotta look at and yeah, I, I I yeah, it was it was it was all right. It was it was hard but mentally it was it was challenging. I think I think that's the biggest thing for, for most players is that kind of the transition is the hardest because you, you go from feeling protected, feeling wanted uh, to kind of and it's not football's fault I, I don't have any regrets about football I've got not like anything bad to say about football it's, it's been brilliant for me um, but it, there is a transitional period that some players get cut out and I think that's 
that's an area that we see quite a lot where it's just preparing for that period and kind of being being honest because not everyone wants to kind of it's hard to kind of say um that your career is coming to an end you kind of you don't want to say it. you kind of you're in denial because you want to go on forever and i kind of found it the hard way my body wasn't doing what i wanted to do and i being kind of pushed myself to be honest and my, my dad went again it kind of hit home if you, like, you know I mean? be, be honest and be true to yourself be the best version of yourself and if you're holding people up or if you're not a benefit come over if you're not happy come over and I, I think that the time obviously at the time as well my daughter was born and she wasn't too well when she was born in that that kind of period so it was kind of a a stressful time because uh, you, you kind of lose your identity that's when you play football and you, that's been taken away from you you're kind of what am I um, but but you, you, again with good people good support which I've, I've got a good kind of group of friends and I've got a, an unbelievable family that, that have been very good and kind of they help you with it and I think as long as you're honest and you kind of you understand that you have to have this kind of uncertainty but look ahead kind of positive thoughts then you'll be alright and it, it's been okay it's been alright you've um you mentioned a few times there, Alan, about about being honest and about you know you, you support network around you and what have you. How did you how did you deal with be you know being able to get over that 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 the, you know maybe the initial shock to the system and then sort of adapting to it? Did you did you find it difficult to talk about it or was it something that you were able to get off your chest because you you'd kind of been encouraged to do so? Um. It's difficult because you've, we've all got this bravado that you want to be, you want to protect yourself and don't show signs of weakness. And I think um, by having a support network that I can can speak to, um, it, it was all right, it was okay. Um, I, I felt, and and again with my, my dad going at the time, it, it was uh, it kind of took me my head away from that element and I kind of. The process then was to kind of obviously mourn my my father, but obviously then be be supportive from my family, the rest of my my family, because we're we're all very close to my dad. So making sure my mum was kind of mentally looked after. You you kind of take the focus off yourself and and kind of help with 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 other areas. So um, I think that, believe it or not, in a strange roundabout way, it was like a kind of vicious circle where that that kind of helped me kind of come away from the fact that I was leaving football and. Looking back now, it was it was you, you get over it, but it, it kind of numbed the pain as well of the of the transition from football because you, you're focusing on a your family and b kind of the enormity of that of losing like someone that's kind of influential in your life. Yeah, I think it's as you say, it, it, it's it's. I think being honest is the is the best thing you can be, isn't it? And you know, not I think you said something earlier on, Alan, about not not shying away from things if they're difficult and, and, and kind of facing them up and, you know, yeah. dealing with them because they'll, they'll just fester, won't they, if, if, you, if yeah. you don't do that. And then moving yeah. on moving on a few years to what you're doing now, you're, you're assistant manager at the Man City women's team. Yeah. How yep. did um, how did that role come about? Um, I'd, I'd, um, I took some time away, uh, obviously, like we spoke, but just to kind of evaluate what what was my next steps really? Um, and I, I, I had other things kind of because when, when you leave football, you 
you kind of it's it's good because it's like a cleansing period as well of people that were in your life and that probably don't want to be in your life then after that and you kind of you kind of cleanse yourself to the people that stick around are the ones that are probably you're going to keep for a long time like you know so I, I spent a period of time and trying to do other bits and pieces and, and the one draw is football is all I've known um, it's, it's something that I'm, I'm, I'm passionate about it's something that that I'd have done regardless of, of playing professional I'd still be playing now Sunday league with oranges at half time if, if, if I wasn't getting paid for it so it was it was a kind of a draw of that really the, the draw of, of being able to be involved and I, I got an opportunity uh, with um, a guy called Gavin Makel and Mark Allen who who were at Man City at the time and they just said listen there's an opportunity here if you want to come in to to help with it was only kind of starting off at the time to help with um, this project and kind of push it on and to be fair to Man City at the time it was one of the first clubs where they had a right good go of trying to make the the women's football professional and that meant every angle so from full-time training facilities um, support they, they they've put everything in place to kind of give the girls the best chance of of, of being successful you know I've so been, it was a fairly easy one I was going to say I've been down to, to I've been down to watch Man City Women's a few times and the the sort of facilities there that are amazing that the setups like it's just like purpose built isn't it it's just it's just great yeah. and it's um you can see the, the platform that's been created there is is sort of second to none really at that sort of level what are your yeah. what are the sort of differences that you found working in the women's game from from coming from the men's game um i think with the girls that they're so receptive the girls want to learn they 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 just get on with it it's kind of it's the the, the professional side is new so there's a lot of um, a lot of kind of passion and drive and kind of excitement um, and the want to do well. I think that that pushes you on as a coach to have that, to have that where players want to do well. I'm not saying that they don't do that in the men's team or in men's football, but it's 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 new and it's 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 something that they want to be a part of. And obviously every day you're, you're fighting for that kind of, that drive to kind of get it to be the best version of itself, which is, again... Like some Man City have really pushed it to kind of into them areas of everyone's got to take this serious and we're, we're putting money into it, they're investing into it long term with the young kids. It's it's something that's again, I've, I've got two daughters, so it's, it's it's brilliant to see, yeah. And 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 there's, there's sort of there still seems to be some elements of sort of football fans and 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 and, and football fans, probably sort of fans of the men's game that are you know, maybe kind of disrespectful towards towards the women's game. Do you still yeah. find that that's, that's an attitude some people still have? Because because I surround myself with good people, I don't I don't I don't really see that now. I kind of I don't I, if I hear it I I I'll comment on it and and try educate. Um but for me it's about like obviously what the girls are doing and the world is kind of going towards it. We're all kind of going in the right direction. So that that'll slowly filter away. You know, and and, and I, I kind of don't take any heed to negativity, and I'll try to correct it if I if I hear it. Yeah, I think that's the best way to go about it, isn't it? And yeah, you, you were talking there about the way the sort of women's games moving yeah. and, and moving towards being kind of probably more mainstream, which is what which is what it really really needs to you know really wants to drive towards, I suppose. And yeah, there was obviously the announcement recently about 
Sky and BBC and the the, the, the TV deal, and they're going to be the sort of primary broadcasters for the WSL. And yeah, I think it's the the the, the biggest TV deal for a women's football league anywhere in the world, isn't it? And yeah, yeah, how important do you think that is for the sort of future of the women's game in this country? I think it's massive. I think obviously you want to get more people looking at it, you know, and not just to kind of be pushed aside and kind of people dipping in, dipping out, dipping out of it. You you want it to be kind of on telly. You want to go watch it. Like I said, I've got two daughters now that are now keen football fans. They they couldn't give two hoots when I was playing, but now that they see players, they they kind of see that there's, there's an opportunity for them to 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 be professional and to. To have a professional career that's it's not just a kind of a part-time kickabout this is professional professional opportunities and i think for for young girls coming up now it's, it's it's a brilliant time to kind of see that and see the role models and how they push themselves and how they conduct themselves you know yeah 100 percent. it's um it's 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 even just in a short space of time over the last few years the women's game has come on so much i think in a lot mm. of a lot of people's eyes i mean so I, I I remember in the I think it was the twenty seventeen World is it the twenty seventeen World Cup the one the, the one where England got to uh, they won the thing Canada yeah that in Canada one. yeah 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 I remember getting up at like three in the morning to watch some of those games it was just yeah. that the, the the kind of momentum behind it was amazing I just yeah. it, I got a proper wrapped up in it me I was almost having me face painted in St George's flags <laughs> at like three o'clock in the morning in my own house. It was, yeah. Um, yeah. It was, it was incredible, it, it, and I think a lot of that sort of thing really kind of pulls the game along with it, doesn't it? And kind of drags people into it, and once people want to be a part of it, don't they? Yeah, a hundred percent. And and it, it's taken time, but we're all going the right direction now. And like you said, with a deal that's just been signed, um, and people constantly kind of striving to 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 better the 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 sport and and push push it. Then it's it's only a positive thing for for the sport, like for us. Hundred percent. And then finally, Alan, last question. Then, what are your sort of what are your plans for the future? Where do you kind of want to, you know, what are your sort of hopes and dreams with your with your your coaching career? Um, again, just just to be of benefit. Um, I I always felt that. Again, going back to the people that I, I've had in my career that have helped me, um, just to to be to be someone that can relied upon and to, if I can only get even 1% out of you to help you become a better version of yourself on the pitch and off then I've done my job you know and, and I think that's the, the key to it is to especially in women's football you get a chance to see girls really kind of progress and uh, to kind of sit back and go do you know what I'm delighted for you and we move on because there is going to be a conveyor belt of young girls coming through now that we can push and push and push so again whether it's in, in women's football men's football as long as we can help and just give you that even one percent, half a percent, then it's I'm doing my job. Fantastic, uh, Ryan. I don't know if you've got any other questions you wanted to ask, mate. No, I think think we've covered everything, Dan. Um, a good friend of ours has just become the, the manager of Tramies Women's, um, yeah. and he tongue he tongue in cheek asked me to ask you if you ever need a friendly. To <laughs> yeah, I I I've dealt with the, I've dealt with the Tramway guys quite a bit over the years. Um, so yeah, whenever yeah, of course. You <laughs> get, get me a number. One thing, one thing I was gonna say is that with with the TV deal, there's a lot of good people in football, women's game, who have volunteered down the years and, and had to do it off their own back and maybe at yeah. their own expense. And it it's good that they hopefully will start to be rewarded and maybe have a proper paid career out of what is a really up and coming sport in this country. 
hundred percent, hundred percent. Like, like you just touched the, the touched it on the head there. It was there's a lot of people that have put hours in, and it was before it was it's kind of being pushed to the realms where it is now, and it's them it's them type of people that everyone's kind of building on. Because yeah. a lot, and it's it's even even the players. If you look at the players, the, the Jill Scotts of the world and the Steph Houghtons, they played when a time when they had to pay subs and they had to kind of travel long distances to to be involved in football. And it's because of players of that and the coaches that have been in the background that have helped on the cold nights and the cold Tuesday nights, and they've kind of put their hands in their own pockets to to help support and uh, make sure that the girls have had what they've got. Um, yeah, it's 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 hopefully time for them to kind of be rewarded as well, um, because it, it is it is them people that have helped the women's game get to where it is. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Alan Mon. It was certainly uh, an evening that I very much enjoyed. It we had a lot of fun with Alan, and he's a uh, a really nice guy. I feel like we've spoken to a lot of people around on this podcast that are just been really really generous with their time, really friendly, and it, it's been lovely. And Alan was. One of the one of one of them as well. I feel like it's always worth mentioning when we have people on the show how how nice they are as people and just just really top guys, wasn't he? he was just he was just so friendly and and you know affable and I'm happy to talk, wasn't he? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you didn't feel like you were wasting his time or taking up his time. He's probably been asked quite a lot of questions down the years. Uh, we always try and mix it up in what we ask, but obviously there's there's always some things you need to talk about. Um, and he just answered them brilliantly, and he was just so open with us as well. And you'll see at the end with um, the bit of a quiz that he was—he was also a good laugh too. Yeah, he was absolutely. So, in terms of takeaways, Ryan, from this episode, in terms of things that we learned, what was your, you know, what was your kind of takeaways? You know, thinking about the the theme of today's episode, talking about positive influences. What was your biggest takeaway, mate? I think it's a. Uh... An influence can come from anywhere. I think when you look at influences, um, family is one that comes up a lot, um, which did in this episode as well, especially with his dad, but he mentions his parents a lot. I think people often think you have to look up to somebody who's done what you've done or is doing what you want to achieve to do. But I think influences can come from anywhere and they can come in different shapes and sizes, even if they are in the same field. So we talked about... John Aldridge, uh, Liam O'Brien and Pat Nevin, who we all know are all completely different people. Um, but he would have took something from all of them. And I think that's important, really. He also remained massively level-headed. Uh, we did have a little discussion around the different sorts of influences outside of people that didn't really exist back then. So there wasn't much social media and stuff. And I think that allowed Alan to maintain really uh, a level head. Uh, which I think is really positive as well which I think anybody a bit younger listening when he talks about maybe choosing Tramia over Chelsea you can maybe apply that in other areas of your life what's, what's going to benefit you in the long run and what, what actually looks good for you to plaster on your social media the two different things um, so yeah I think taking influences from all walks of life and also just remaining see level headed and, and positive in your approach to things 100% mate and I, and I think just building on that, really, with regards to to his dad and with everything that was going on, particularly towards the end of Alan's career, you know, we, we obviously referenced it with regards to, you know, his 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 injuries and maybe his uh, his body not being able to kind of do what 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 his mind wanted to do at the end of the career. Which, as we we we've heard from a number of footballers, can be a really difficult time for for players. But alongside that, Alan's Alan's dad had, had died quite quite recently, and obviously he talked a little bit in detail about 
the sort of later later months of of his life and as you say right his dad was a massive influence of him on him and he was a clearly a close friend of Alan's as well and I think it was a bit of for me listening to is a bit of a timely reminder I think for for a lot of people that you know footballers are human beings and and I know that we've said that a lot on this podcast but it does always bear reminding that you know football can be coming to the end of the career or they might not be performing how you would like them to perform but I think it's important to remember that you don't know what might be going on behind the scenes and I know that a lot of people will think well you know I don't know so how am I supposed to know kind of thing but I think it's just important to remember that as with anybody you don't know what's going on at home you don't know what's going on in their minds and you don't know what's going on in their life so just to be respectful that they're a human being and to treat them with the respect that you'd like to be treated with as well and I think that's always particularly with footballers as well and sports people because they are kind of people feeling as though they're a bit of fair game aren't they for criticism really I think that's probably a a good place for us to wrap up so thanks for for your time as usual Ryan and thanks to to you the listener before we do wrap up I'm just going to put you in the direction of a couple of organizations that can be there if you do need to talk and that is the Samaritans of course who have a a 24-hour phone line you can reach that on 116-123 and equally the calm zone also have a phone line which runs 5 p.m to midnight every single day and that's on 0800 58 58 58 now I did mention previous to today's episode starting that we do have something special for for next week for Mental Health Awareness Week. And we've got a little bit of a series called Your Worth Taken Care Of, which will feature an episode every single day, Monday through to Sunday, seven episodes, which will be focusing on a different mental health treatment, a different mental health approach every single day. We've got things like CBT, talking therapies, we've got some stuff about diet and and uh, and nutrition as well on there. So there's plenty for for you to be getting involved with. And I, can, I think kind of the the angle for us really, the thing that we were thinking about Ryan was about you know we've said to people where's the talking? We're trying to get people talking. I think people are starting to come around to that idea. And now it's looking at what's the next step? What's the next thing you can do to to help with your mental well being? And you know with it with that in mind, here's a little teaser clip for for what you can expect next week. For anyone who's listening who might be thinking about seeking out professional sort of mental health support and maybe hasn't gone down this path before so it seems a little bit maybe a little bit alien to them or they're not sure what to expect you know what would your kind of one piece of advice be to to someone who's listening well it's a it's gonna be an obvious one but i'll i'll, I'll explain why the my advice would be to do it but do it for the right reason and the reason is and this I think is hard for a lot of us to absorb but it's so important the reason to do it is that you're worth taking care of full stop a lot of us will will qualify that in some way or or think that as you were suggesting there has to be some kind of a reason for you know for for resting or for, for doing things that are kind to ourselves we end up treating ourselves worse than we would treat even people that we don't care for and so treat yourself like you're someone who's worth taking care of. Even if you don't buy it at first, pretend like that's true and, and see what happens. And I think that's the, that's the best starting point. And that really is, I think, the work for all of us for a lifetime. So certainly lots for, for you all to be getting involved with. And we really hope that you can take something from those episodes. We're now going to wrap up today's episode. And Ryan, we've got 
got something a little bit different, haven't we, to wrap up today, mate? You you alluded to it earlier with regards to a mini quiz. What have we uh, What have we decided yeah, to do to wrap up? I always up? do that, Dan. You tell me that uh, <laughs> we're going to mention this for everyone, and I always just end up saying it in the middle. Uh, You're excited, so mate. You're excited. I am. I am. Much like the listener, we're all excited. So we've changed the format slightly, as you've mentioned. We always did end with a bit of a quick fire, but we thought we were dealing with a lot of people who've played competitive sports. We're living all our competitive people, and why not make a little bit of healthy competition? So we've took that quick fire, we've turned it into a mini quiz, often centred around the individual we're speaking to. And we're going to have a bit of a leaderboard as well, which we'll be updating you with as we go. And it's quite funny, really. A lot of people have been quite nervous and come the end of the questions, they're absolutely loving it and don't want it to end. So it's been quite fun, really, for us to, to add that bit of spice to it. It has, mate. Very much so. Very much so. So before we hand you over to, to Alan Mann's mini quiz, please remember that the purpose of man marketing is to encourage men to become more comfortable talking about their mental health. And we started that conversation today, but we're asking you to keep it going. Talk to your friends, talk to your family, talk to your colleagues, even talk to strangers. But most important of all, remember to listen, because sometimes listening could save a life. Thanks to you, the listener, for listening. And we're now going to pass you over to Alan Marne's mini quiz. You, you scored the second goal as Tram. You beat Bolton 3-0 in the Worthington Cup semi-final in 2000. But can you remember who the Bolton goalkeeper was who you scored past? Please don't give me a little countdown clock thing. Um, <laughs> don't worry, take as long as you want. Oh, Jenny. Do you know what? And I can see his face. I can see his face. Because I've played against him a few times. I'm going to pass. I'll, I'll go pass. Go on. Who was it? Steve Banks. So your um, Lisbon debut came in the group stages of the... the oh, God. Of <laughs> <laughs> the Champions League against Real Madrid, which yeah. made you one of only five Irish players to play in oh. a Champions League group stage for a non-UK yeah. side. Can you name right. any of the other four? David Conley? Yes. yes. Yeah. Get in. <laughs> I, I, I'm, so, I'm happy with lads. I'm, I'm made up with just that one. Um, uh, Phil Bab. Phil Bab. Yeah. Give me a hint. Give me a hint. So one one of them one of them plays in League One at the moment. Oh, I've got a memory blank. It's, uh, you know, it must be diabetes. I forget. I'm, I'm, I need insulin. That's <laughs> I'm putting it onto that. Go on, give it to me because I'm going to get wound up. Go on, that's, go on, give it up. So that's Aidan McGeady. Aidan McGeady. Come on, I should have had that one. <laughs> right, so we've got Aidan, Phil, David Connolly. David Connolly. Right. One more. But this last one's the hardest, though, I would yeah, say. Yeah, it is the hardest. I might just have to give you Killian Sheridan. Oh, Jed, I wouldn't have got that. Killian Sheridan. Who did he play yeah. for? Uh, Applewell, Nicosia. Question number three. Your first goal after returning to Tramu in 2009 was a 3-2 defeat to Warsaw. Do you remember which Warsaw player who's gone on to play in the Premier League scored the winner? I remember the manager for them. Hutch. Chris Hutchins. Um... This fellow was um, a bit of a Watford legend, I'd say. Still a Watford legend. As in, still... Yeah. Yeah. Still. I don't think he wants to be, but he is. <laughs> Troy Deeney. Yeah. Yeah, Troy Deeney. Yeah. 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 Well, while, while, while we're on this game, though, if I, I, I was sitting in the, the Johnny King stand that day, did that come off Kit, Kits and Bane's back? That goal? I take the fifth amendment on that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Rumour has it that after you left Wigan to join Burnley on loan, the players wore black armbands at training. 
Paul, yeah. Jewell, Paul Jewell had to stop uh, the minute silence when which player couldn't keep quiet? There's only one. It's got to be, I call him Wozla Gummidge. Um, <laughs> Jimmy, it's got to be Jimmy Bullard. It was Jimmy Bullard, yeah. yeah. yeah is that yeah. true? Was that, is that, is that what they did? I, I, I'd had, to be honest, there's a couple of variations of that story because obviously, <laughs> but we'll, we'll keep that offline. That was something I'll have to take to the grave with me. Um, <laughs> there, there's a few things that had gone on, but yeah, that apparently they wore armbands. Um, but yeah, Jimmy couldn't keep his mouth, keep his mouth closed. But yeah, that, 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 that's him. He's, he's quite a lively character. <laughs> But I love the character. So, question five. In June 2000, you played in a 2-1 win for the Republic of Ireland against South Africa. Yeah. Can you remember which stadium the game took place? The Giants Stadium? Yes. Yeah, it's totally Get on fire now. <laughs> you, can, you can edit the force spread out where it looked terrible. <laughs> Just bring it together for me. Um, okay, on. question number six. Um, in October 2004, you scored the first goal in a 2-0 victory for Wigan in their first ever win at Ellen Road. How many seconds after the second half started did you score? Oh. Oh. We'll say you've um, got to get it within five. Yeah. Uh, uh, it, was, it would have been a minute in. 39 seconds. 49 seconds? Yeah. It's an absolute Yeah, I know as well. Straight after, yeah. Mm. Um, Ultimate what? question. You scored your first Premier League goal for Blackburn against Tottenham in 2001. Do you remember who the Spurs manager was that day? Hold on. I should get this because I got, I got, I got Shepard's talk. I was doing alright, then I got the Shepard talk after the game. <laughs> um, who's the guy for? Used to wear suede boots when he was a player, apparently. Ah. Uh, legend. Glenn. Yeah. Glenn Hoddle, yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't mind. He, he was like, uh, there's Hoddle. I had two, two heroes as a kid growing up on the pitch. One most people won't get. Obviously, Hoddle was one of them because obviously he could do anything with a ball. But um, Mickey Hazard, I always Mickey Hazard for Tottenham. As a kid growing up, he was like, like toy, the toyiest player ever. And then years later, I got in a taxi and he was driving. Oh, really? In London, in London yeah. In just, London. Just in, purely uh, by chance. Well, by chance in London. Yeah. That's it was amazing, like, man. ridiculous. Yeah. I was like gobsmacked. I was like, couldn't. I, I, when I see people that are. I've done a bit in the game or that I hold high like I get really nervous like so my fringe started coming down and everything was getting <laughs> uh, and then final question Alan uh, in 2006 uh, Les Parry released a single for charity based upon the Christmas song The Red Nose Reindeer uh, what was the name of that yeah. song? I should know this because I, I, I think I downloaded it um, <laughs> he, st he still owes me the money for it, I think. <laughs> um, give us a hint. Uh, how can we give you? Let's have a let me have a Give him the first uh, three. Yeah. Okay. So the yeah. So it starts. I'm Les. Yeah. It's gonna be something quirky. I know it is. Now go on, give it to me because it'll warm me up. I'm getting all stressed now. <laughs> me friend, me friend, me friend just now. The heat, it's the heat is taking the gel away. Go on. It's it. Uh, I'm Les, the white legs, Paddy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, classic, classic. Which is I'm the worst name for a song ever. The worst yeah. name. 
It's, it's probably, yeah, but it's, it's the truth. It was that he had got white legs. He had very pale legs. At <laughs> <laughs> one stage, and again, I can't talk. I, my, my, I'm very, very kind of pale, as you can tell. Um, they're, they're see-through on Sundays, <laughs> if you look close enough. Well, uh, best of luck in it. Thanks again. We really appreciate your time, Alan. No, yeah. boys, listen, you've, got, you've got my number. If you have any, I didn't give us a show. Top man. Boss Cheers, man. guys. Thank Fantastic. you very much. Cheers, Ryan. Cheers, Ryan. Take, Cheers, take care, boys. Take, take care, guys. Good luck yeah. now. Bye-bye.